The funny thing about writing a letter to money is that it's more likely to positively influence your relationship with your romantic partner and with money than would just a letter to your romantic partner. This hasn't been scientifically proven, but I'm pretty sure it's true. This is my conversation with Elise Archer. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today is Elise Archer. Elise Archer is the founder of She Sells and also the host of the podcast She Sells Radio, helping female entrepreneurs, all entrepreneurs, but with a concentration certainly on female entrepreneurship. And it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you, Hirsch, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's talk a little bit about female entrepreneurship today in this moment in time. As we know, things have changed very rapidly in the world. It's like everything changes from a day-to-day basis. And so it's hard to get an anchor. It's hard to know exactly where things are going. How do we trust trends? How do we trust developments in business in the world. So where where are things at at this moment? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. It's a great question. And I think that's why and I'll, I'll share kind of my take, but I'll also share maybe cut to what I think the, I don't know that this is the end all be all solution, but I think this is something that's important for all of us, whether you're a female entrepreneur or not, is being so solid in yourself and what you're about and trusting that, you know, the trends change, right? How you, I was on a group call a few hours ago before this, and I was telling the women, I was like, I am launched out. Like for anyone who knows the online space, you know, is <laughs> doing online launches, it's this whole thing and it's, it works and it'll get you new clients, but it is, it's a thing. It's a lot of work. It's a more saturated market. And I was like, I just want organic referrals for clients. So he says, like, that makes me happy. Let's keep it simple and easy. And so all of that is just to say that the methods change, right? How we acquire clients change, how we service them changes, depending on the technology, depending on the trends. But I think at its core, if you can be so solid in yourself and what you're about and your message, one of my dear friends, Rory, always says, your calling is someone else's signal. So trusting that if you have a calling to do something, you you almost want to think about it like it's a beacon from somebody else asking you for help and asking you specifically for help, not Oprah, not whoever, from you. And so we've got to be so solid in ourselves and what we're about and trust that mission and calling that regardless of what changes in the world outside of us, we can at least have that as an anchor. And there's two sides to that. One side is that sometimes people spot something that you have to offer that you do well, and they come to you for that. And that helps you find that grounding because you realize, well, this is where I'm needed. This is my calling because they're sending the signal to me. Other times you have a preconceived notion. Sometimes as young people, we have a notion of who we want to be, but we hit a lot of roadblocks. How do we know the difference between hitting a roadblock that we just have to keep motoring through and thinking maybe we're missing 
our calling? Mm. Oh, I love that question. Okay. So we were also funny enough. We were just talking about this on this group call that whatever your goal is, whatever the vision is, whatever the mission is, there will be an initiation into it. And so I specifically work with my clients in the realm of money and financial abundance. So I was talking with them and I was like, there is an initiation into abundance. You can't bring the old version of you into this next level of financial success and abundance that you want to create. You're going to have to be refined. You're going to have to change as an individual. And so I think when we know that and we know that it's not punishment, sometimes people think, oh my gosh, you know, whatever your spiritual belief, like God is punishing me. The universe is telling me this isn't meant to happen. Yada, yada. It's like, no, you're literally. Well, we, we find out we're, we find out we're spiritual when we have problems and we oh, ask yeah. and we say, why is God doing this? We find God yep. when in, in foxholes. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that. So, yeah. 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 And so just knowing like when that happens, when you, when you say, yes, this is my dream. This is my vision. I'm going to go after it. Okay, guess what? You get to become the person who has that as your reality. So whatever that is for you, maybe you got to step out of limiting beliefs around visibility. Maybe you got to get more comfortable, you know, receiving attention online. Maybe you got to uplevel your sense of self-worth around making more money. Whatever it is or leading people, right? You've got to you're going to be initiated into that. So when we know that it's going on, we're like, okay, it doesn't mean I'm on the wrong path. It doesn't mean you know, I'm doing something wrong. It's just like, oh, I'm being refined into this person. And I also, the, the flip side of that, and then I'll, I'll pause because I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But the flip side of that is like, sometimes I have done things and I have gone down paths where the door just closes. And it's like, I think this is going to be the best thing in the world. I'm so confident. I go after it. And it's like, either something was working and the faucet just turns off completely or the door slams straight in your face. And what I find in those moments where it's like, it is so clear that it's just not gonna happen, at least not now or not the way you thought, it's often a redirect to think bigger for yourself. Because a lot of times we're going after what we thought we could get, not what we really wanted. And so to me, that's always the invitation to think bigger. So it's not that it feels easy in the moment, but I think when we can kind of frame whatever the obstacle is with that mindset, we can usually find our way a lot faster. That's a really good point because sometimes it's not a complete reversal. It's just a re-envisioning, a pivot that, you know, we had to have that original idea to get to that next turn. You don't know where you're going if you can't you can't make a turn from a from a from a from a starting point that doesn't hasn't reached the end of the block. So you gotta go you gotta go forward. So I think that's really good because the obstacle or whatever it is, is teaching us something. Mm. Um, we don't want to go blindly without learning anything. Yeah. We want to learn at every, at every turn. And sometimes just taking that step is getting our body moving, getting our mind moving, getting ourselves out there. Sometimes it clicks. I find sometimes that if we face rejection, sometimes we have different attitudes to rejection. Like if we face rejection, and I used to do sales. I started out in sales. I represented directors of TV commercials. Oh, nice. So I was like an agent yeah. for directors of TV commercials. And you get rejected like anything else. Another director gets the job. Your director doesn't get the bid, whatever it might be. Sometimes that's a wake-up call to say, oh, you know what? I get. I don't think they were right 
for it, or I don't think this particular thing was meant to be. Other times you just get, you dig in and you're like, no, I got to fight for this. This is, I got to figure out some other, some other way. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it, there's almost like a, mm-hmm. like a proving ground, right? When you're going for something of, and, and again, it's not, it's not that you're being punished, but it's like, okay, do I really want this? Cause sometimes to your point, you're going for something yeah. and you realize, uh, you know, it actually maybe should have been a different direction, but you and I both know what it's like. Yeah. And for anyone listening, we know, you know what it's like when there's something that it's like, no, this is happening. Like regardless. And I don't care how many times I get rejected. I don't care how many times people say no. I don't care how many obstacles I have to go through. This is going to happen. And to me, it's that level of firmness that you're not going to have it around everything, nor should you. But the things that are really meant for you, you will. And those are the things that we don't want to give up on. Let's talk a little bit about reinvention. Mm. So let's say you have had success in a certain area and something was working, but it doesn't feel like it's working anymore. So it wasn't that you didn't get there. You got there, but you hit a plateau or you hit something. It's something needs to change. What, what do you, how do you talk people through that? Well, I'll share, if I can share a quick story and then I can, you know, kind of speak to that. Sure. So uh, several years ago, I had a really unexpected reinvention. And I was a I was a partner in this eight figure global sales organization. I was leading a team around the world. I was traveling, doing keynote speaking, um, you know, recruiting, like working with clients, incredible global clients. And I thought that was it. I thought that was my future. I thought that was my life. And there were some very sudden, very unexpected things that happened within the company where overnight there was a whole group of us who had been in leadership and we were gone. We were out. And not only were we out, but we had to take down everything that we'd created. I built a podcast, a website, a brand in the space. And because of legal stuff, like all of that had to go. And so I was under a two-year non-compete where I couldn't talk sales. And that for me had been my joy and my life. And I was in also my income. I was the breadwinner for our family. And so all of us were kind of like, okay, this is a really, it's an unexpected twist. What are we going to do about it? And I'm not going to say it was easy. It was kind of one of those dark nights of the soul where, you know, you go from feeling like you're making an impact in the world, you're making good money, you're like living what you want to do. And then suddenly it's like, you're just gone. I felt like I was wiped off the face of the earth almost. And so talk about a hit to the ego, right? Um, But in that moment, the process, I mean, one, one of the most successful personal branding companies in the world was birthed out of that experience because several, there were two people, two good friends of mine who went on to start, um, to start a personal branding company. And I was one of the founding team members and it's become one of the best personal branding companies in the world, serving celebrities, actors, top entrepreneurs. And then the other thing for me was I had to really sit and look at what do I actually care about? Like if this was it, if this was right around the same time, one of my good friends who was 37 years old died unexpectedly in his sleep. And it was like, okay, This feels like it sucks in the moment that I no longer have this brand and this business and yada, yada. And this just happened to my friend. So if I had, I think I was 32 at the time, I was like, if I had five years left, what would I actually want my life to be about? And I realized for me, there were so many things I hadn't tapped into and things that I cared about. 
um, giving, paying it forward. And I actually started an online movement during that time called the Instant Impact Challenge, which was like, how do we create little moments throughout the day by giving, by whether it's giving a compliment, writing a thank you note, doing one thing a day to just kind of spread that ripple effect of positivity around you. And for me, it ended up being one of the most fulfilling things because I felt like I realized so much of my life had been defined about work and who I was professionally. And when it couldn't be about that, it was, okay, what can I do to still make a difference? But that's even bigger than what I was thinking. And so this thing ended up blessing a lot of people. And so all of that to say, to come back to, I think in those moments of reinvention, whether it's self-directed that you want to do it or whether it's kind of put on you (laughs) that no, you have to reinvent, right? Right. Remembering that there is a blessing in it. There is like always having that perspective of you're being called to do something greater or bigger. Otherwise it wouldn't be happening. And then looking at kind of with that perspective, I, I, it sounds morbid, but it always helps me make decisions. If this was the end of my life, like if I was looking back on this, what would I be proud of myself for doing? What have I been saying all along that I want to do that I haven't done? Well, guess what? I don't know how much time I'm going to have. So let me use this as a beautiful opportunity to go out and see what happens when I really go for it in this. And so take a risk on yourself, take a chance on yourself. It's the perfect time. So that's, that's what I would say. And, and maybe hopefully that <laughs> inspires someone who, you know, might be going through something similar. Well, you know, we, we think when this, a lot of people went through this also with the pandemic where things came to a halt and we were forced to think, do I really want to do this thing that I was doing before this all came to a halt? And how much do I really want it anyway? And also because we didn't know what would happen. And so we did have a little bit of a morbid sense of, well, if this is like the end, then I want to be more daring. I think the people who go out there and there are people who live on the edge of everything. It could be financial risk. It could be personal risk. It could be good. It could be bad. It could be productive. It could be not worth it. But the reinvention thing definitely does play into, okay, however you ended up at this plateau or this wall, this is a chance to take a risk. Tell me a little bit more about the scope of what you do to help people advance and help them break through where they find themselves when, uh, when, Let's say they come to She Sells. So people always laugh when they start listening to my podcast because they're like, I thought I was going to get sales advice. (laughs) And they do. They get sales advice. But what they (laughs) also get is a much deeper dive into what I think makes the biggest difference, not just in sales, but in all of your results in life, which is how do you transform your identity into the person who actually has what you want? And so what I've seen, and this is in, I always I feel a little old when I say this, but like 20 years of sales and you know, in corporate sales and then sales training and consulting, I found there were these three missing keys that just weren't there in most sales training that in my own life, when I found them, I had insane quantum leaps after being stuck for 10 years. And I've, I've applied these same principles to my clients to also help them get quantum leaps. And so it's one, rewiring your belief system. So Pete, this is the big problem, I think, with so much tactical sales training out there. And it's important. And I've done it and I deliver it. But when we realize that your conscious mind is responsible for 5% of your results, everything else, 95% 
of your results, how much money you're going to make, how many sales you're going to make, what sort of opportunities you're going to go after or not go after. It's based on your subconscious programming about who you are, what's possible for you, what you believe to be true about the world. And most of that was given to you before the age of seven, where we're basically walking around when you're before you're the age of seven, you don't have an analytical mind formed, so your brain waves are in theta state, which is the same state you're in if you're under hypnosis. So everything that you hear around you, whether it's little boys don't cry, little girls should be seen and not heard, money doesn't grow on trees, you take it in as fact, and it actually becomes a belief system and a program in your subconscious mind that unless and until you intentionally decide that that's not going to be your truth, it will run the show for you. And so the first thing I do with clients is get in under the hood to see what's your belief system about who you are and what's possible for you, because your results will never outperform your beliefs. And so that one is, that's key. It's huge, huge, huge. The, the second is about money, because I find that salespeople and entrepreneurs and all of us, we've got junk about money, right? Like we deal with it all the time. We want to make it, but we've got so yeah. many hangups around you know, how much we want to make. We think we're not worthy of it. We think it's too much, we, yada, yada. We think of money as though it has a beating heart. Like I, you know what I mean? Like when someone will say, mm -hmm. money doesn't like me, money likes you. I've been told like people who work in human design will say, oh, money likes you, but you have to mm. like it. And, you know, there is something to that because you can care about money or not care about money. You can respect money or not respect it. But we kind of start to take on sometimes this karmic relationship with money as though there's some energy that's yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think it's so true. And, and there isn't, I mean, there's energy with everything, right? So, so there is an energy um, with money. And one of the things that was very liberating for me when I started to study psychology of money, energy of money, was realizing, because I had a bunch of money hangups. I thought I had to be perfect to have it. I thought I could only have a certain amount or not more, yada, yada. And then realizing that we put the attribute, however you thought you had to be with your parents or your primary caregivers, to be loved, to be safe in the world, you will subconsciously put those attributes on money because both of them actually represent security to you. So growing up, your primary caregivers, to whatever extent they represented or didn't represent security to you, that's, that's your security, right? And then later on as adults, for many of us, we make money are and I'm not, I don't endorse making money your security, but many of us do, and that's very common. And so people will find when they dig into how they think yeah. they have to be to have money, it always mimics the patterns that you had with your parents growing up. So when you realize that it's like, oh, I can actually create a very different relationship with money if I want to, a lot of things will unlock. Um, so there's, I mean, there's so many rabbit holes we could go down <laughs> with that. Yeah. Well, just as a like a first step, how do we redefine mm. our relationship with money and income? Because, for example, my parents, particularly my mom, did have put an emphasis on stability and security, but not mm -hmm. neither of my parents put an emphasis on money. So the idea of accumulating wealth wasn't ingrained in me. In fact, I think I perceived a little bit of a negative vibe because I, I learned that a lot of people made money through duplicitous means and 
that to me ended up being an example not to follow, but it was very murky because it was like, so people with a lot of money often did a lot of questionable things to get it. Therefore, you know, where do I shake out on this whole, you know, this whole, this whole mm -hmm. scenario. So let's say you grow up with that ingrained in you that it's kind of not a thing you want to go after, yeah. but the, but the changes, yeah, you just don't know absolutely. how to change it. This what may you, sound corny, but I swear it, it will work. <laughs> so the first thing I would do is I would literally write a letter to money. I know I, I know I said, it, I know it sounds corny, but it's very clarifying to get your thoughts out on paper and talk to money as if you think it's a person. And so when I first did this, when I, I'd been stuck at the same level financially for 10 years, and it was like, no matter what I did, I couldn't break through a certain threshold and I was comfortable, but I wanted a, I wanted a greater life for myself. I wanted to retire my husband. I wanted to be able to, you know, pay for us to do greater trips. I wanted to give more. And so I was like, I'm really ready to shift this relationship. So I wrote a letter to money and just told it all the things I thought about it. And it was like, it would have sounded something like, dear money, you know, I really like you. I want more of you. I like having you around, but I'm super scared that you're not going to be here when I need you. And I don't always feel worthy of having you. And I kind of freak out every month that you're not going to come around when it's time, when it's time to pay the bills. And, and so when you look at that, so I just got it all out on paper. And then it's like, if that was actually a person and let's say that money and I were dating, so we're going to make this even weirder, but let's say that money and I were dating, would money want to hang out with me? Or would I be like the crazy yeah. girlfriend that money's like, all right, you go figure your stuff out and I'll be around when you get it figured out. Right. <laughs> so I was repelling so yeah. much because I did, I just, I had a really jacked up relationship with money. And so I would start there, write the letter, get clear on what it is. And you'll also find when you write that letter, you'll notice all the parallels between how you relate to money and then how you related to your parents growing up, how you thought you had to be. I work with a lot of clients who, you know, they had, some clients had really yeah. easy upbringings, other clients had really traumatic upbringings and dealt with all sorts of things, abuse in the home, alcoholism in the home, all of it, and felt very insecure around their parents, felt like they couldn't rely on them, couldn't trust them, and then they realized later, oh my gosh, that's how I feel about money. It's played out the same way. So from there, once you're clear on it, it's a, it's an opportunity to redefine how do you want your relationship with money to be? And to me, that's a, it's a re-education process. So I, I wrote another letter and it was like, now that I knew how crazy girlfriend I'd been with, it, it was like, all right, all right, like, I'm ready for this to shift. I want more right. of you in my life. I see how I've been putting you off. I'm ready to step into a greater relationship with you. Let's, let's see how it goes. Like, let's see what it looks like. And I practiced being that like really great partner for money in my life. And then reading books, like you're a badass at making money. We got to start to shift our relationship with money and there's great resources out there. But for me, that book is, is phenomenal as a first step for people. Yes. Yeah. You're yeah. a badass at making money is the, is the title of the book. Okay. I'll have to look into that, but that's what popped into mm. my head. The partnership idea. Because I feel like I've looked at money as some kind of opposing force, some force that I don't understand because I wasn't brought up to actually understand it. I was brought up to to make sure I had enough, you know, a little amount of it, enough of it, see what it could do, but not to be a slave to it, not to worship it and all that and so forth. But I really don't, I envy people 
who mm. have this natural relationship with money, right? It's like they don't have to write the letter. They get it. They're on good terms. They're, they understand mm. each other. They get each other. And I really envy that. And I, I'm going to do that, that writing that letter. <laughs> I don't know where to send it, but, but, I, but I'm going to write it. But, but I do think that, that it's, it, it is about partnering, partnering in a way um, and not looking at as a, a reluctant kind of a, a, yeah. a, a, a necessary evil. Like, I think some people maybe think of it as a necessary evil. Oh, shit, I need more money. Like, ugh, I need more money. Mm. And wishing that they didn't need it. But in fact, and I went through that too. Like, when I was younger, I, I was, yeah. I would think, oh, well, it would be great if you could just barter again. Like, just, you know, I have, I live in Miami, I grew up yeah. in Miami. I'll have coconuts. Someone needs coconuts. I'll give them whatever. And then I don't have to deal with money and how much money you have in the bank, you know, all of that. But we want certain things. Like you said in your letter, I actually want, I want to have a better relationship with you. There are things I want to do that are important to me. And for that, I will need yeah. to have this, this relationship. What about things like ethics versus temptation and greed? And uh, have you gotten up close to some of those things? And kind of been in situations where either clients mm. or or you kind of came up against that. There's things where people do all kinds of rationalizations. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Specifically anything, like as it relates to money. In that area that, that comes to mind. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I think when we, um, yeah. when we approach money from scarcity, where we think, and this is how I used to be. So I thought when I make this amount, then I'll feel good. Then I'll feel worthy. And it, it's never enough right. when you come at it from that, from that mindset, because we're actually looking to money like as the bandaid for our deeper insecurity. So yeah. the key with all of this is not making money God. Like this is so, so, so important. And remembering that you are the master, money is the servant. Right. We want to be super grateful for it, but it's not, you're not a slave to money. So it's a different energetic. And this is why in the work I do with my clients, so much of it is about getting you feeling so good, so worthy, so whole, so validated, not because of how much you make, but because of who you are. And the difference it makes is astronomical. The money comes as a result. It always does. When I did that inner work, I mentioned before I'd been stuck for 10 years. When I did that inner work in literally six weeks, my annual income became my monthly income. But it wasn't, it was, I was feeling so worthy and so good. And it was before the extra money came and the money was like, this is great. It's a cherry on top type of thing. And the people in our community who are doing this, this type of work are having similar results. So when we approach money without first feeling whole or good or worthy or validated, and we think a certain amount is going to make us feel that, it won't. It will just keep deepening the void and you'll fall into, to your point, her temptation. You may make choices that aren't great for you or for somebody else. But when we do the inner work and we realize that it's not actually money you want, Right. We define success as money in so much of our world. I define success as money for so much of my life. 
and I've, I've decided to redefine it. It's success is happiness. That's it. Success is happiness. Money isn't, it doesn't do anything for us just sitting there. It's what does, what do we really want from it? We want freedom. We want happiness. Everything we say we want, the sports car, the house, the vacation, it's because of the, some emotional payoff. It's because we think it's going to make us feel a certain way. So when we practice the inner work and we practice feeling good and whole and worthy, and that takes a lot of the mindset rewiring that we talked about before, uh, you no longer think you need the money to feel a certain way. It more just becomes a natural part of who you are. Because of course, a person who's whole is always going to have enough money. Of course, a person who's free is going to have the resources to do what they need to do with. Of course, a person who's generous is always going to be able to give. So it's, it's that. It's, it's, it's a different approach that it's not what's conventionally taught, but it, it will shift everything. It's changed everything in my life and, and for the clients in our community who are doing this work too. So the wholeness comes first. To go back to what we, we started with and what you said initially, the wholeness comes first, then the relationship with money. It's like any relationship. You have to repair your relationship with yourself. What changed when you came out of that doldrum, you came out of that thing, and, and then your, you had a radical increase mm -hmm. in revenue? What changed practically? So the inner work was done you felt in, worthy and you mm -hmm. felt you were going the right, what, yeah, what changed sure. though? To so, so here's what I will say is it was 100% income. that I finally felt worthy of it. That was it because I finally felt worthy of it. And I also in that, in a period I faced every limiting, I, what I decided to do is I invested a, what for me at the time was a huge amount of money in a coach over half of what I made the whole last year um, to, you know, to really work on this stuff and really like step up to another level. And so after I made that investment, I was forced to face every limiting belief I ever had around money, every limiting belief I ever had around success, every limiting belief I ever had around what was possible for me. Um, the tactical was I launched a new program that I would not have launched if I wasn't way out of my comfort zone, um, if I wasn't feeling worthy, if I wasn't feeling you know, abundant. And so most of the money came in from that particular program, but I can say 100% it was, it was the inner work. It would not have happened without the inner work. Well, yeah. you took risk too. That inspired you, that empowered you to take the risk you needed to take, which I think is that last piece of this, of this puzzle. There was a lot that felt very scary yeah. still. I mean, I will just say, I think when we're really like, when we're in it, when we're, I think everyone has had this point or yeah. know someone who's had this point where it's like, you're just, you're done. Whatever your version of staying stuck, staying small is, you're done with it. And it's like, whatever it takes, it's that decision, that hair on the back of your neck decision. I'm going to do whatever it takes to finally break out of this old habit or belief I've had about myself or way I've been showing up and I'm going to do it. And in that moment, it, you know, at least for me, like there was a lot that still felt scary. There's a lot that still needed to be healed. I mean, there's always stuff that, that I'm working on. Right. But, um, it's, so it's not that it wasn't scary and felt, didn't feel very risky. It did, but it was a level of firmness of decision that this is happening and I'm going to trust my instincts and trust my gut to move forward on the things that I'm feeling called to do because, the worst thing that can happen is staying small and not living out the, the fullness of my life that I feel called to live out. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. 
If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.